The date is August 5th, 1983, and we're watching Risky Business. Welcome to I Used to Like This One. Hello and welcome to I Used to Like This One, the show where we take a look back at movies we remember fondly from our childhood and attempt to look past the nostalgia to see if they still hold up. My name is Sean Wells, and with me, as always, is the Miles to my Barry. Hello, I'm Colin Stewart. And this week, episode 99, Colin, this is our last double-digit episode, so we had to bring in a Joel to go with our Miles and our Barry. So we brought in Mr. Joel Sims. Welcome back, Joel. Hello, hello. The podcast is always the same, baby. <laughs> All right. I, uh, hello, hello. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Happy to have you. Yeah, well, this week we are looking back at August 1983 when the movies and theaters were National Lampoon's Vacation, Jaws 3D, Staying Alive, Zelig, and of course, our movie for today, Risky Business, which earns $63.5 million on a $6.2 million budget. <clears throat> Normally, this would be the point of the show where I give a spoiler alert, but today I'm giving a content warning because I didn't realize what a smut fest this movie is. <laughs> so if anybody has problems with, you know, the not safe for work side of things, then, you know, maybe uh, have your fast forward ready for some naughty bits <laughs> so the tagline that appears on the poster for this movie i have found two this week the first is meet the model son who's been good too long yeah that one's good yeah uh, i guess yeah that's exactly it. it's like i guess yeah. <laughs> that'll do pig that'll do <laughs> Well, the the second one here, I think I want to do in like a wacky announcer voice. There's a time for playing it safe and a time for risky business. <laughs> you know, I just feel like it needs some sort of raunchy music to go along with that. Yeah. I do like that one more, though, even though it's just a title drop. Yeah. Yeah. But they may not be the best descriptions of this movie. So let's go to Colin and do a 60 second synopsis. With his parents out of town and the house to himself, Joel Goodson decides to say, What the fuck? and let loose. When taking his father's Porsche out for a joyride doesn't scratch that rebel itch, Joel decides to level up by satisfying his carnal desires with a lady of the night, who shows up on his doorstep and takes him to Pound Town. Unfortunately for Joel, he makes the grievous error of not establishing the cost before diving into the one-night buffet and the next morning finds himself $300 in the hole. He's good for it, but at a time before e-transfers, Joel needs to go to the bank to cash in some savings bonds, and while he's gone, the prostitute, Lana, decides to steal his mother's decorative egg as collateral. When he goes to get it back, Joel ends up saving Lana from her pimp, and they spend another night together, this time free of charge. Seeing an opportunity to make some bank, Lana proposes to turn Joel's parent-free house into a weekend brothel. After initially refusing her offer, Joel decides he could use the money after the previously mentioned Porsche goes for a swim in the lake, and he and his classmates combine 
their entrepreneurial skills with Lana and her friend's special services. After a successful business venture, Lana and Joel have sex on a train while her friends steal everything from the house, forcing Joel to use his profits, paying the pimp to buy it all back. Yet even after all that, Joel goes back to Lana to engage in witty repartee and more sexual innuendo. Will this guy ever learn? That's your 60-second synopsis. (laughs) Awesome. That's awesome. So this movie came up because as we approach our 100th episode, Colin said to me, we haven't done any Tom Cruise. And I said, you know what? But let's do something that's like pre-action Tom Cruise. Because we all know Mission Impossible Tom Cruise and all that sort of stuff. And now, of course, Maverick, one of the most profitable movies of all time. But this is one where I'm like, let's go back and visit some very early Tom Cruise. And now for anyone that believes that Tom Cruise doesn't age, they need to go watch Risky Business because he definitely is like a baby in this movie. But when I started watching it, I thought to myself that I had seen this movie and I don't think I have. I think I've seen enough of the scenes just because they're so iconic yeah, well, what scenes are you talking about, John? Well, like the... <laughs> I, I remember, I remember the train sex scene. If that's where you're going with that, but I, I also remember just the dancing in the underwear, right? Like, I mean, because you've Classic. seen that yeah. a million times in a million different award show montages. But I don't know if I've seen this, but I could have sworn I had. Now, Joel, as the guy that is a couple of decades younger than this movie. What is your experience with Risky Business? I was actually in a relatively similar boat to you in that I had thought that I had seen it before. Um, But again, I'd just seen like the underwear sliding scene because it's been spoofed and done up in so many different ways. Upon starting the movie, I realized immediately, A, I haven't seen this. And B, I knew immediately why you wanted me to be the guest on this podcast. Not because of the name, but because, you know, we need a young guy who has a lot of dreams about naked ladies. Oh, and, okay. And by God, <laughs> that's me. Rub-a-dub-dub. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, uh, yeah, my experience was just that like i i had never seen it before i'd never seen a a tom cruise movie from when he was this young besides the outsiders and i was fully like shocked by the movie in that like colin said it's way dirtier than i expected it to be which isn't like a bad thing by any means but it's completely took me off guard that i'm like this movie is so like dangerously horny you know yeah like this is the kind of movie that I don't know if either of you ever worked in video stores when you were younger, but yep. this is the kind of movie that the VHS would get turned back and about two minutes in would be completely burned from just being replayed over and over and over again, you know? <laughs> There'd just be a gap for whoever got to rent it next because people were just, you know, yeah. uh, enjoying this, that this, scene a little too much. This is the type of movie that, like, Mr. Skin thrives off of. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So now, Colin, what about you? You wanted Tom Cruise, so I proposed I did not want young this Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. <laughs> yeah? What, what is your experience with Risky Business? Absolutely zero experience. I've seen 
like when I watched the this sort of time, I was like, oh yeah, I've seen this is that movie where the underwear slide old time rock and roll thing comes from. But that's literally yeah. all I knew of this movie. Okay. And it was not at all I was expecting this movie to be like Ferris Bueller, John Hughesian in nature. I was not expecting anything about what what I got in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, it's like let's... it's almost like 80s American Pie. Like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but also not as raunchy in a way or a different kind of raunch. Yeah. I think it's like a there's like an American pie comparison. It's like it's less raunchy in a way that's clearly like this is a joke. This is funny. It's more like this is like supposed it's almost like it was trying to be like sexy instead yeah. of just being yeah. like haha band camp, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no stifler drinking a, a glass of ejaculate. You know. <laughs> I like it when you say it like you're a doctor, you that's know. That's right. <laughs> you got to say it very formally. You know, I'm trying to still keep it as work friendly you know, as <laughs> as I can. Well, okay, here we go. Let's jump into Risky Business, directed by Paul Brickman, who has three total director credits. One is a movie called Men Don't Leave in 1990. The other is Allison in 2016. So, you know, I figure we're a few years away from another Paul Brickman movie if uh, if the pattern continues. It's produced by John Avnet and Steve Tisch, and it's written by Paul Brickman. So we open this movie on just the sound of a train and a weird kind of slow motion view of the city going by. And, and weird uh, heavy. Is there not heavy breathing? I swear to God, there was. I wrote it down in my notebook that there was weird heavy breathing over the first like minute of this opening credits scene. <laughs> maybe but, but maybe that was just me oh <laughs> 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 uh, yeah because it's suggestive right off the bat you've got a train and we always know that a train going through a tunnel means something else but then we we, we get right into it, the dirtiness though with tom cruise talking about a dream of going to his neighbors and it's you know it feels like it should have started with Dear Penthouse Letters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never thought this would happen to me, but... <laughs> and, like, I loved that aspect of it, and that it felt like... It was tr genuinely, like, such, like, a, yeah, I'm, like, a 17-year-old, 18-year-old guy who's just, again, like I said, dangerously horny, has no access to the internet. Mm -hmm. Um just like yeah just you know laying in bed like fantasizing but i couldn't help but think i know this is your dream but does it not feel a little unethical you know what i'm saying like you just see the doors open you're like guess i'll come on in call around for the neighbors oh nobody's there oh well the shower's running i guess i'll just take a check what's well, going on, on upstairs eh? come on joel he asked do you want me to leave and she says no that's i true. want you to stay that's so, right that's, cons that's consent. consent is gained <laughs> Right? We're a bunch of guys in 2022 trying to figure things out. So, correct? If we're wrong that this isn't consent, somebody email us and tell us that we're wrong. Let us know. Consent is key. Yeah. It was one of the things that caught me with this movie was how remarkably analog everything is. It's just this movie could never be made today because the internet exists and it's just you have 
it would have to be something completely, I don't know, different, I guess. But it's like, they don't even have Playboys or, or Penthouse magazines in this mo- movie. They have, like, weird newspaper ads. Yeah. They got, yeah. like, the Sears catalog, the women's underwear yeah. section of the Sears catalog, and that's that's it. Yeah, it's weird because I'm so used to the actors of this movie being older. Like, we saw Bronson Pinchot in in Beverly Hills Cop a little while ago, but I also remember him from Perfect Strangers. And so, to me, he's always a man. And so, even though this is his debut movie, I kept wondering, are they supposed to be college students? Because they don't feel like high school students but they seem way too naive to be college students but i don't understand the school he goes to because it looks like a college i was thinking the same thing this movie is a really good example of definitely a product of the time and I, like you didn't cast high school age people to play high school age characters i'm like these people are all like 25 and up being like i'm 17 and i don't know what sex is yeah and it's like it's kind of hard to to buy with some of the friends especially yeah yeah yeah, it was also like I I was really glad at the one point when miraculously like Lana reveals that she's also seemingly like high school age, like they're the same age. Right. Because at first I was like um it seems like there's a rape situation occurring. Like and and how like nobody's IDing anybody. Like just yeah. anybody could just call and they'll show up to somebody's house. <laughs> like, well, once we get to the party, <laughs> there's some really young children at that party. Yeah. I was going to say, I like. I think it's really funny because I was thinking the exact same thing. Is I was like, is she too old? And then yeah. obviously she like made the... And I th- and all I can think about is, man, Joel, you're lame as hell. <laughs> you're you're yeah. lame as hell for thinking that. I guarantee nobody, when this movie came out, was sitting there going... <laughs> like, you know, young, young guy, especially sitting there going, is this a problematic age gap right now? Are we... <laughs> is there like totally. something kind of hinky going on here that we need totally. to discuss? You know? I was like, man. Well, that, yeah, that was one thing I thought for this entire movie was like, I I don't know for sure because I wasn't a teenager in 1983, but I just got this sense like this was the dream, like this was this was si- similar, I guess, to like how American Pie was for me. Like I felt like the genius yeah. of American Pie was like it captured the teenage the mind of a teenage boy in like the year 19 2000 or whatever, and I imagine this movie was kind of. The similar, similar, but it's 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 so different in, yeah. in that in that way. No, it it really is. I mean, out of a hundred episodes, <laughs> this is kind of the first time that I feel like this this is a movie that really would not work in this day and age. And we've watched Blazing Saddles, but for me, it's like this movie is just. I cannot help but look at it with all the things I've learned over the last decade with a woke world coming to my ears, you know? And this is one where it's just like, there is a lot going on in this movie that kind of makes me uncomfortable now. That that wasn't the case when we watched American Pie either. Mm -hmm. You know? I, I think that, again, has a lot to do with the way that it is, the movie is framed with this obviously like it is a comedic movie there's a lot of comedy to it but i think that first of all i thought this the screenplay i thought the writing for it was phenomenal i just i don't i can't can't help but to say that like i really loved the writing i was a bit disappointed to realize that the guy who wrote it and directed it pretty much didn't do much of anything else afterwards i was interested in seeing what else he'd done Mm -hmm. but i think that yeah it's like it, it, it takes itself it's not 
on the nose enough. As whereas an American pie, you're like, you're not uncomfortable with it because it's like, yeah, it's clearly all like, it's a lampoon. It's a joke. It's yeah. all for, for a laugh. Whereas this is like, I know it's supposed to be funny, but they're taking this high schooler running a little sex ring out of his house, maybe with a little too much gravity, you know? <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't do enough like I guess, I guess for me, maybe this is the intent, but it's like I felt they didn't do enough to tell me it's funny, like even with the music. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they didn't do enough to 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 tell me like, you know what, you're okay, you're safe. This is just a funny little satire, like commentary on something. And, like it everything is played played so seriously that I don't know, there were times where I was just kind of like, this is I I don't know how to feel right now. <laughs> yeah, like for for the day and age, like you'd be looking at things like Revenge of the Nerds or Porky's or Animal House or, you know, things that are more of these upbeat party comedies. Yeah. Where that raunch is played for laughs like it is in American Pie even. But with this, it's like you've got the raunch, but it takes itself too seriously. Yeah, like I fully expected the movie to just be all about him having to get the egg back and going through the weird world of like prostitution and pimps and all that with some hahas thrown in and then at the point where like he he rescues her and takes her back to his house again and then they start having like a weird real relationship that doesn't i don't know it doesn't make a lot of sense to me but it just i wanted there to be more about her like stringing the egg along yeah but it doesn't really matter until the end and then and then you kind of have the laugh but I don't know. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting that the tone of the movie did surprise me in that way. Cause like you said, yeah. I was expecting it to be a bit more of a, you know, just like a, a play on the trope of like, Oh, you know, the, the cop got in too deep undercover in the mob, except it's a high schooler and prostitutes, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's, yeah. uh, you know, the classic, classic high school of prostitutes trope that everybody sees in all these movies all the time. <laughs> I know if I if I had a nickel for every time I saw the classic high schooler prostitution trope, oh, I'd have a nickel God. from the girl next door. No, that one's porn. That one's porn. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like I, 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 I did appreciate the fact that it like it was totally very different yeah, it just fully, fully was not at all what I was anticipating out of the movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, see, Joel mentioned that like he really enjoyed the script. What I found, though, is the director, when he, when he took off the writing cap and put on the director cap, he made some very odd visual choices with this movie. Because, like, first of all, it starts off with the weird stuttering slow motion train and then the dream sequence... But there, there's the point when he's taking his parents to the airport and he does it all as this weird point of view camera. Oh, yeah. I thought I was wondering if there was something to that as well. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, from that time they're in the house, it, it goes from his point of view. And then it's like as the parents leave, it shifts back to, you know, his like you're looking at him, not him looking out. Yeah. And I, yeah, that stood out to me as something that I was like, okay, I'll watch for this. Because mm -hmm. I'm sure this will be a recurring thing, a recurring type of shot that they use. And then they just didn't. No. <laughs> they just didn't at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's the same with the narration. Like, to, uh, 
it doesn't happen logically to me. Like I, I get it in the beginning when he's having the dream, but then it pops up kind of randomly late, like at, at certain other points in the movie that were like it was more like real things are happening. It's not. It's not just he's not just like explaining what the dream is or whatever. And it's that kind of stuff that made you want it to be Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Well, yeah, there's that, and there's <laughs> the thing with the thing with the car and yeah, those types of things. But again, it was kind of like. I don't know. Sometimes I just felt like things were just happening, but there wasn't like an emotion attached to it. I was just wa- I was just watching it happen, like a, like a car wreck. I think that for me, like one of the things that really took me with the movie in that way, along the narration in regards to like the dreamlike sequence at the beginning and it kind of being a recurring motif was, it felt almost like you could interpret a lot of the movie as though it was almost entirely a dream i feel like there's a lot of weird ways that like the music is used specifically i'm just gonna say it that soundtrack was really good Mm -hmm. i don't know if i'm like i'm just i'm i I loved it i went i installed it after i watched the movie (laughs) i enjoyed it that much and i was driving around at night the other day and i was listening to it and i was like yeah you're just doing, like, uh, doing donuts and racing people off red lights. Oh, of course. Yeah, in my Toyota <laughs> Prius, I was absolutely ripping around people in traffic. I, uh, yeah, but I think that there's like an element of the whole movie that feels dreamlike in a lot of sequences. Yeah, for sure. For mm-hmm. sure. I didn't really understand Joel's character. Like, I kind of pieced together like he's a straight, like he's a straight laced guy who who's like trying to trying to let loose or whatever but i didn't really get that from the scenes i couldn't i had trouble piecing together like even with his schooling and and that kind of stuff kind of like what you were saying sean about like what type of what type of school is this is just this just like an entrepreneurial class he's in or like a club or whatnot and then I, i fully expected it to kind of like leech back and forth where he would actually be using his brothel experience to kind of like, I don't know, beef up his projects. Yeah, like sell more <laughs> light bulbs or whatever it was he was doing. Yeah, the, the, sell yeah, more yeah. of those memo pads. Memo pads, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For characters as well that are this unknowledgeable about sex, they're sitting around drinking beer and playing poker and smoking cigars. I mean, I'm just, I'm surprised that they are so lacking in this one department. Are they really all that nerdy? I mean, one of you's Tom Cruise, so you can't be well, that bad. I couldn't even tell, like, if they were nerdy. Like, are we are we to believe that Lana is the first person that he slept with? I think so. Because I, I didn't, I didn't get the sense that they were like nerds. They just felt like average dudes. Who you know, some of them like like the, when they're at the, have the one party, the one friend comes over with the girl, and then they start banging in. His room, which I also <laughs> thought was a weird choice. If people came over to my vacant house and wanted to have sex, I'm not sure I would let them go in my room. I'd be like, there's plenty of other rooms to pick from. Yeah, yeah I'd be <laughs> like, go use a couch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go use some lawn furniture. It hoses off. Yeah, you'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> well, this house, interestingly, it, with the address of where it is, it is just around the corner from Cameron Fry's house. So there is actually a bit of a Ferris Bueller connection is that they've used the same city and yeah, looking at the actual geography, Cameron Fry's house would be just around the corner. Oh, well. yeah. So yeah, I Bob, wish I was rich, huh? 
right? (laughs) Must be nice. So mom and dad are off on their airplane and he's all alone. And we find out that he's just, he's absolutely useless. Like he can't even cook a TV dinner. Yeah, that was a bit ridiculous. (laughs) Just to eat. And that would have been the the nastiest, I don't know, frozen mashed potato popsicle you could imagine, I feel like. Oh, yeah. And I got to say, I just absolutely loved the classic high school boy pour rum and Coke. One ice cube, three quarters of a glass of rum, and then like a splash of Coke. Yeah. And he just looked very pleased with himself. He's like, yeah, (laughs) this is adulting right here. I just drank a fifth of a bottle of Appleton Estates. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, what else do you do when you've got the place to yourself? You you lip sync old time rock and roll. Get some Bob Seeger happening. How long was the parents' trip? I was confused I, about week? whether it was a whether it was a week or like a weekend. I, I think it was a week. Okay. Yeah. But I agree though. I also had a difficulty like making that distinction. And it only took me until I was like, okay, he's gone to school a couple times. He's like had some meetings like with the nurse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or I was like, okay, because I thought, yeah, I fully believe that I was like, this is just a weekend. Yeah, no, it, it but there's also some of the events in this movie, you feel like it should be over a month. Like, you know, the, the speed that they put together their brothel, you know, it, it's it's alarming how fast they're able to pre-internet and cell phones able to get the word out that fast around town to come and get nailed at George's house. <laughs> to know? come in and come in? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's the future enterprise's advantage, baby. Yeah. When when he takes uh, his dad's Porsche, I love the moment when he's backing out of the driveway and the music's playing, and then he stalls the Porsche and the music stops for a minute until he starts it again. It got me by surprise. In those moments where I was like, I was kind of starting to look away, yeah. you know, get distracted a little bit, and it's right back in it. It's kind of funny seeing uh, Tom Cruise, though, in a car like that. And knowing what we know now about Tom Cruise and doing all his own stunts and adrenaline junkie and all this shit, you know, it's just, it's interesting to see him driving a Porsche so conservatively. <laughs> or, or we he's see using him, his turn signal, you know, like he's he, taking his time. And there's one point where he's running and he doesn't have the patented, like straight handed uh, Tom Cruise run yet. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't recall, like, I know he runs a little bit when he runs after, the, but it, there's no, like, 10-block sprint marathon. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's usually when that one really comes out, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to the, the newspaper that you started talking about, because, you know, saying that they don't have porn, but they go to the newspaper. The, the way that they talk about the sex in this movie, it's just like holy 1980s that the fact that like just the idea of a leather dominatrix in the newspaper is just like it was just it was wild to me that it was so taboo at the time (laughs) right it was a simpler time i loved the idea of like when they were discussing like you know taking out the newspaper and it was just like right there that there was like the call girl pages i'm like where is that in the newspaper you know, is that like right by the obituary section? Like, yeah, where is that rat? <laughs> it's, it's in the want ads. But oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've only ever seen something like that in, not not in like the Sun or the Journal, but 
I don't even know if these exist anymore, but I remember Edmonton used to have like C, yeah, C and View Weekly, and they always had some like weird shit at the back. (laughs) Yeah, they they always advertised escorts and massage parlors in the back of the paper. And yes, it it was actually just after the rest of the regular want ads. But I mean, that was back in the day when you could be like, oh, you know, missed connection. And people would put notes in the paper saying, I saw you, you were wearing a red scarf on the train platform or something, you know. (laughs) Which like always sounds so romantic, but in reality, there's definitely something a little bit creepy about that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like you got to, it's not like it's a Craigslist type thing. You can just put your ad out there. It's like you had to get to, you had to send a letter to the newspaper. Like you had to break out a piece of paper and some stamps and an envelope and submit that, pay some money, have it posted and just hope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Miles, though, uh, places a call for someone to come over to Joel's house that night. He he takes it upon himself to he, he makes it his mission to get Joel laid, I guess. Yeah. What a homie. Yeah. He's he's what a pal. Uh, he's the Clarence of sex, is that what it is? <laughs> the cl- Clarence? Well, it, isn't that it's a wonderful life am I, oh, no, the... I I still need to watch it. Still yeah. need to watch it. <laughs> I think yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's what we're going for here. It's yeah, it's a reach. It's a reach, but I get it. Okay. I get what you're saying. <laughs> an angel of sex? I don't know. So yeah, I mean, and what, what with what you were saying about dream sequences, when he is studying and he falls asleep, I totally thought that was a dream sequence. When the taxi pulls up and the woman gets out, and then he starts like railing her with the when the windows blow open and leave yeah. the in. I mean, he's he's got a lot of bravery and stamina for someone that i'm presuming up to this point is a virgin yeah the stairs is an awfully bold choice for losing your virginity (laughs) yeah my man was going through positions like he was (laughs) he had the he had the comma suture the book out like (laughs) (laughs) the the, the little dice But I, I totally thought that, or sorry, that that's that's not Lana yet. Sorry, the first one to pull up is Jackie, and we find yes. out Jackie is a man. Yes, I I forgot about Jackie. Can't forget that. I I I am impressed though with 1983 that Jackie seemed to be handled fairly delicately. I agree, genuinely. I was actually impressed with the fact that the butt of the joke was never the fact that like a cross-dressing man showed up at the door the butt of the joke was how incredibly uncomfortable joel was with sexuality seemingly like he's like my body has to come over here and he was like i can't i'm not coming i'm not doing it and like the joke was that he's clearly blown away whereas jackie was like let me in i'm making a phone call and sets him up yeah (laughs) yeah but yes the, the the next one though because he knows what everyone every white boy that lives off the lake wants he gives her him lana's number i i do like the the (laughs) i mean okay first of all we've got the scene with joel masturbating and he can't think about he can't fantasize about a girl without the dad coming into the room so you know there there's that scene you know joel needs some porn is what joel needs but but then he starts actually actively searching for a hooker in the paper 
Like, is is this a pastime of the 80s I'm unfamiliar with? Because I was five when this movie came out. And, like, yeah. What? Like, <laughs> why did he have to cross them all out? I, differently. Like, and each time yeah, differently. And, and was there a code of some sort? Yeah, like, he circled one and X'd it, and then he scribbled another one, and then, like, just, just a plain X through a different one. Like, yeah. But like, I also he, I want to know what his criteria was. That too, yeah. <laughs> clearly, yeah. <laughs> what, what, I, was, I, was gonna, I was gonna say he clearly didn't want any any like any ethnic people because he like crosses out some Latinas, <laughs> some black girls, <laughs> <laughs> some some Asian women. Like yeah. he knew what he was doing. Well, the boy I'm, off the leg. <laughs> unless his yeah. unless his internal monologue at the time is. Just okay. I'm gonna choose this one and phone her. No, I can't do that. That would make me a weirdo. Okay. No, I'm gonna choose this one. No, no, no. That would make me like maybe he's just going back on forth and on actually getting one, and he just runs out. It's like she loves me, she loves me not. With the newspaper is what he's doing. I was surprised that he he crossed out the twins though. I felt like you know <laughs> that's like every 1983 boy's dream. Yeah. Whereas a 2022 boy, I think that, oh my God, that's so incestual. <laughs> like, that's gross. <laughs> 2022 is like, uh, she, the, the ad would have to say, like, once, once a deep relationship, you know, will be nice to my mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that too. <laughs> we'll treat you well. Yeah. Astro- astrological sign in there. Their, their, their star chart. Your political affiliation. Uh, that, that's definitely status. important <laughs> recent charitable donations you've made yeah. <laughs> uh, so we get another weird visual choice though once Lana shows up and Joel starts fucking her everywhere in the house where they're doing it on the stairs and then they pan across the wall to show the baby photos <laughs> And then the the lady of the evening is still there the next day, just chilling out on the back deck, having some breakfast. Yeah, she made herself like a nice little meal. You yeah. know, she had like a grapefruit or something and a coffee. Like she was, she was treating herself well, talking about the cost of real estate in the area. Yeah. I think that like I on, on the shot that goes from fucking on the staircase in layman's terms to uh transitioning over to, like the baby photo it's like a shot that, a kind of shot that they did a lot they had it a few times in the movie and i think it was some sort of idea of like loss of innocence you know becoming a man like at that very basic idea but there's definitely like something a little uncomfortable and I, obviously i'm sure that's the point but watching you know some action on the staircase then like they pause a little too long on the baby photo yeah. you know it was like a solid six seven uh second count there where i was like all right I get it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let, let me watch some more of the sex. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, let yeah. me let me rewind a couple minutes here. Let me burn out this VHS before I return it to the blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets he gets his first lesson though as an entrepreneur of the future, and that's that it, you you should always figure out a price up front because he owes her three hundred dollars and he only has fifty left in the house. Thanks for taking it all, Jackie. So he has to go to the bank to get a bond that he has to cash out of his safety deposit box. That's a very old sentence. And then, like, 
this is a part again where I'm not sure whether it was supposed to be funny, but he's cashing something that has a note from grandma and grandpa saying, I hope you use this money. Well, like I wasn't sure whether that was supposed to be funny or sad at that point. I laugh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But then we get back to the house and discover that mom's crystal egg has been stolen from its weird light-up base. I mean, she didn't even take the base. I mean, how are you supposed to fully appreciate this crystal egg <laughs> if you don't take the base, too? Yeah, come on. If you're going to be an art theft, at least go 100% of the way with it, you know? Right. Give the give the artist some more credit than just the... <laughs> for shame, Lana. <laughs> <laughs> but... But he finds out where Lana hangs out, and so he goes to the Drake Hotel to get his egg back. And we find out that she's there with her manager, as she calls him. So her pimp. Is it explained? Did I miss something? How does he know she's going to be there? Uh, this, he he ended up calling Jackie, I think. And Jackie says that she spends a lot of time at this place. Oh, okay. So it was still a crapshoot about whether she would be there that night. But I guess to move plot forward, she was. If that's yeah. how you want to play this game, director. God. <laughs> but yeah, we... we we find out that her her pimp. Uh, I just started thinking of. I don't know what you care about me, but I'm a motherfucking pim. Anyway, you can just lay that lay that behind this right that's now. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but yeah. So her, but he pulls a gun on them. But it's it's Joey Pants. I was excited to see a very young Joey Joe Pantaleona. Joey Pants in this. Joey movie. Pants. Joey Pants as the manager Guido. But we get a car chase in this movie. The most basic car chase in the world because all they do is go around in circles until Joel feels like he's far enough ahead that he can turn right instead of left. (laughs) You got him, buddy. They they were going down the same streets, right? Pretty much. Yeah. I I think that like part of again, maybe I'm just a little be was being too analytical. But it's like I think again, part of this has to relate to the idea of like the dream sequences and like the what is truly real in this movie and what's not. I think a lot of it seems like a high school boy's perception of what like a car chase looks like. You know, where he's like, "Yeah, we're turning fast around the corners," and he's like, "Oh, I got away. I, I took the right turn, and then I said like a cool line, and everybody went, "Wow, that was awesome, Joel. You're sweet." And then I went home and I banged the lady. <laughs> I felt like the I felt like the car chase was an ad for Porsche because. Clearly, the Porsche has expert handling, and whatever yes. clunker Guido is driving, like that thing couldn't steer for shit. It was just every well, every turn they took, it just it just hit whatever was in front of it. Yeah, yeah. What what makes that even better though is the fact that at the end of it, once they do get away from Guido, he says, "Porsche, there is no substitute." Yeah. And, you know, it sounds like a commercial to me, but it also sounds like time for Sponsorship Corner. (laughs) So always on the lookout for product placements in movies. This week, Risky Business is brought to you by Porsche, Audi, and Chevrolet vehicles, Marriott and Drake Hotels, Graf Air Freight Incorporated, American Airlines, Old Milwaukee Beer, 
Shiva's Regal Whiskey, Tab and Coca-Cola, Nike Shoes, Ritz Crackers, Architectural Digest Magazine, Walton Books, Shell Gasoline, Princeton University, Dairy Queen, and Banquet on a Bun Restaurants, Lionel News, National Car Rental, Vantage 100s, and Marlboro Cigarettes. And hookers. And this has been Sponsorship Corner. Do we prefer the term lady of the night? The tall girls? The tall girls. The escorts. The whores. The whores. The whores. I contemplated saying whore, but I didn't want to shame anyone. That's right. This is a sex sex work positive podcast. That's right. We don't kink shame. Yeah, that's right. We We respect any workers. Yeah, there should be a, you know, I think the biggest problem with this whole movie was that all of these um, dames of the night weren't unionized. They could have done much better. They could have had their own house in the Hamptons of their own to run their million dollar brothel out of every night to all these (laughs) boys off the lake. If they merely, you know, linked arms on the picket line. (laughs) Local union 169, I guess, right? (laughs) (laughs) so uh, at this point uh lana basically just moves into his house because you know she's just there all the time now but joel has to go to school but he's like don't steal anything while i'm gone but they keep cutting back to lana like looking through shit like trying to plant the seed of doubt that she's up to some shady stuff is she like ultimately at the end Like you said in your 60-second synopsis, Colin, he ends up running back into her arms for whatever reason. But is she in on all this shit? Like, is she going around the place casing the joint right now? Because she doesn't actually steal anything at this time. The sense that I got, like, I thought the movie was just going to end basically at the point where his parents come back, wouldn't it? And maybe, like, showing his little free enterprise presentation or whatever. Yeah. When when it shows them him back in the restaurant with Lana and they're talking about their future or whatnot, I didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I felt it kind of undermined the movie. Like why it's not stated, I guess, that she had any involvement with them stealing all his stuff. But I think I would have liked the ending of the movie a little bit better if that had been the case. Like yeah. if she had gone and taken him to you know, have sex on the train is like a distraction and then basically just, you know, disappeared. I think I, I would have, it would have been a more interesting ending to me. Yeah, because Guido brings up the fact that they had sex on a train. So, like, yeah. either he was watching, like, you know, the drunk guy that Joel helps off the train <laughs> was, like, his inside man, maybe? I don't know. But, like, it's, <laughs> you know, like, how does he have spies that know that he's had sex on the train with Lana unless she was in on it? But guess who was in the conductor's seat, buddy? Yeah, that's right. He was driving. It was train. Guido. Yeah. <laughs> I think that in a weird way. I'm going to be a bit contrarian on this way. I liked the ending because it felt very open-ended. I felt like there was a theme, a really recurring theme throughout the whole movie, obviously, of teenage youth and ignorance. And, and that was, you know, he, he had this vision of what he wanted, this false reality that he was hoping for. 
Like he was obviously somebody who lied that was introduced immediately. He lied and made up stories to make himself sound cooler. And for him, it felt like it was like a anything he could do to maintain this fantasy. Like he knew he had to know at some level because I'm sure that she helped set this all up with Guido. Mm-hmm. She was manipulating him like the whole movie. It was pretty obvious. And then so far at the very end, it still felt like he's like he still had to meet up with her because he had to know that this kind of fantasy or dream that he had lived had some semblance of reality, some way of grounding it. And so him meeting up with her was kind of like him ignoring the reality of it, of what had really transpired and that he'd been manipulated and taken for advantage. And he still is, you know, it's like that everybody, you know, there's like the sucker born every day added as well as, you know, um, yeah, every, every, there's always the jokes of people that fall in love at the strip club. It's like, no, oh, she yeah. really yeah. wanted me. And I think that's like the whole, I, like the whole fantasy there, the whole idea and the dynamic for him is that he's like, she really likes me specifically. And there's, you know, yeah, but there's nothing more to it for, for a movie where the thesis is basically what the fuck, you know, f- it, it seems like he should have learned his lesson for this what the fuck behavior. I mean, this this is a less funny version of Yes Man starring Jim Carrey, but somehow Jim Carrey manages to learn a lesson in the end of the wackier comedy, whereas this slightly more dramatic take on that kind of idea of saying what the hell, let's do anything. You know, all why doesn't he learn his lesson at the end? He should end up with nothing at the end. His mom is pissed off cuz her egg is broken and there you go. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say that he has learned something because in there, like, I don't like that he goes back to her, but there is, I think maybe that is the point is like, you can tell in their conversation that he has learned something because he makes the comment about like, well, you know, like if we're going to be together, then it's going to cost you. Like, it's like, he's kind of taking the, the upper hand, I guess, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's being her hooker. Yeah, I think he's trying to prove that he's like, I'm not going to get taken for again. Yeah, he's being yeah. her hooker. <laughs> That's just but, it. But he's also like, you know, but I'm cool with it. Like, because now we can joke about what your lifestyle used to be. Remember that period of time when you were a hooker? <laughs> yeah, remember when you emotionally manipulated me for like a week? And like we went on our escapades across the city and we turned my whole house into a brothel and I had to buy back the entirety of my belongings with yeah. this ridiculous profit that I posted after one night. Yeah. Crazy times. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy yeah, times. That, that's a that's an interesting thought experiment. Like if you if you time jump this relationship like fifteen years into the future and they're married with kids and the kid comes and asks, like, Hey mommy, how did you and daddy meet? Like, how does that conversation go? <laughs> like yeah. The, the yeah. personal ads in the papers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we both work for the newspaper <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like you, you don't want to tell your kids in 20 years like oh yeah your mom and i met on a one night stand on tinder you go oh we met online yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you move on <laughs> so not only has lana moved in but vicky has also seems to have moved in all he cares about is his fucking egg but he decides to take pity on the girls and give them a place to stay because Joey Pants shows up and he's a real asshole to them. 
they they celebrate by taking him out to get high. Oh man, I love eighties people talking about weed. <laughs> you ever get high, Joel? Like it's such an eighties <laughs> way to put it. Oh my god, I just. I think about, you know, we're in such an age of legalized cannabis and all that sort of thing, where it's just like, you know, to have someone come up to you and just be like, you ever get high, man? You like getting high? It's just, oh. If somebody came up to me at like a function and was like, like you said, because it's such an age of legality and everything. If somebody walked up to me and went, hey, man, you want to get a little high? I would think they were like offering me ketamine. Like I would be like they're offering me fucking PCP and like or like a horse tranquilizer. Or like I'm about to go crazy. on a week long peyote trip here, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to take some ayahuasca and just you know live with the shaman, the shaman of my mind for a few minutes here. <laughs> but yeah, while while they're while they're out getting high and getting ice cream, they uh, proposition him to basically run a whorehouse. But there's that moment when she grabs her purse out of the car and we see her, see the gear shift. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I, I'm just waiting for this to play out because they were too obvious on that Porsche getting knocked into gear for you to not see what was coming. Same with like the shot of uh, when it rolls onto the dock. I also I love that the scene. I thought it was pretty funny. I like that he just jumped on the roof of the car at the end. Yeah. As if that was going to stop it. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I love any movie where you try to people try to Fred Flintstone a car. They try to yeah. use their feet to like stop it or get it moving or any, in any way. Yeah. Um, and then you know when it rolls at the end of the dock, it was such a yeah right. It's gonna fall in. It's well, gonna but, fall see, in. Like, it's it's it. definitely the comic relief we needed after after Lana like tells her really dark past to him, which is where this is the point where I'm like is this a comedy? I don't know because like he starts talking about, or she starts talking about the fact that she left home when her stepfather started coming on to her, you know, like shit like that. It's like, okay, there's some dark past for, for Lana here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the scene kind of showed like that they were both kind of a bit naive in similar ways, um, just kind of in opposites and that like she was playing him and that he was kind of, I think the implication there was that he, from that scene, he established a little bit of like a, I can fix her. Yeah. He's going to save her. I can her. be the one. I can be the white knight kind of idea, you know? Yeah. I think that that was kind of sowing the seeds there, but I agree. I'm like, that's fucking, that's dark. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's upsetting. With, with, with the Porsche rolling down the hill, I do like the two-part psych out there with, with it stopping just before you reach the end of the dock. And yeah. I'm, I'm like, I think it's about to collapse. And then there it went. <laughs> it's like, I knew it was perfect. But, you know, I, I do I do like the fact that they didn't just drive it straight into the water. My yeah. favorite part of that whole scene was the way that Tom Cruise yelped. Like, it was just <laughs> so lame. What do you think, Tom Cruise, big action here? You're expecting to be like, oh, no. Or, you know, something. But he just went, ah! and that was it. <laughs> So the Porsche gets towed out and he finds out he needs a whole lot of money to repair it. So he decides to revisit that whorehouse idea. But he goes back to the school first and straight up assaults the nurse. (laughs) Because she won't like give him like a medical permission to, you know, he fails two midterms now or whatever, or uh, two finals. Yeah. 
but somehow he's still been accepted to Princeton. Like, shouldn't that have been like an automatic disqualification? The fact that he straight up missed two tests. I mean, that might get you into like, you know, Arizona State or something like that. But Princeton, (laughs) not getting into Princeton. That was kind of what I meant by when I was talking before, like, there's this scene where he's, like, clearly upset that he's going to fail some classes, but they they don't really set up a lot previously to, to make me think that this guy is super straight A, all he cares about is school guy. Like, even when his dad is talking to him about setting up the Princeton thing, he's he's kind of, like, ambivalent about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's like... I think he even says, he's like, I don't think that I'm going to get into Princeton. His dad goes, I know some people. The meeting's like already set up. Yeah. He's like, yeah. I agree. He's very ambivalent. Yeah. Joel's life is very set out for him. And so that's, he's just, I guess, along for the ride. He's doing all the things he's being told to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, they, they touch on that part and they, they they touch on that in like the first scene where they're talking with their friends in the like you said it looks like a fucking university cafeteria but the high school cafeteria and they're like what does everybody want to do and it's like everybody's like i want to make a lot of money that's all that matters to me and like it's clearly shown that joel is somebody who's grown up around a lot of wealth he's grown up around a lot of a lot of money and he just sees nothing from it like just doesn't care for it at all and i think that this like the idea of like going to princeton for him it's just like boring it's just like the next step of like, yeah, okay, I'm going to get into the nice school. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like a very silver spoon, silver platter with no sense of independence or freedom from it. Well, we, so that, you know, we, we see how very fish out of water he is when after he finds out that the nurse won't write him this note that he needs a bike. And so he bikes all the way to Lana's apartment because he needs a hug, I guess. But how does he <laughs> know where Lana lives? Yeah. That was never really touched on. Maybe he just followed her scent like a truffle pig. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's time for the business enterprise to start. It's time for the whorehouse. And we can make more uh, more in one night than we would need than he would all year, and he'd be able to pay for his dad's Porsche. I I love the like revolving door of people cashing in their savings bond. I thought that was a really fun moment. But when when the prostitutes start showing up to the house, one of them is Megan Mullally making her debut. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I I I went back and I tried to find her. I couldn't find her, but yeah, she is one of the uh one of the ladies of the evening. Yeah. Shot Megan. <laughs> so, why would you book a Princeton's admissions interview for the same night as your uh brothel party well i think his dad pre-booked it and then he just forgot about it oh okay yeah he 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 seemed cool when he showed up and like found the guy like it it seemed like he knew it was happening tonight or was he just like playing it off like he didn't want to panic about who the guy was i think that there's the whole idea of like him putting up a facade throughout the entire movie and like faking confidence and faking control like faking that he has power and i think that scene because it's always you know when he puts on the sunglasses it's like very obviously like a visual cue he puts on the sunglasses he's like i'm cool guy i'm not joel i'm I'm in control now and as soon as that guy shows up it's like he's still trying to kind of maintain that but i agree it's like he seemed a little bit too blasé with it yeah well, a little bit too like excuse me uh yeah we'll just go use this other room around here no problem yeah sunglasses is what the fuck joel that, that's, yeah. that's who that is, yeah. Yeah. 
But he does have his interview with the Princeton guy. I like how no one can give him five minutes. You know? And and really, is the plan to have someone else answer your phone really the best idea? He should be the one answering the phone in his house because, like, does he not realize that his parents may be one of those phone calls? Especially if the Princeton interview is set up for that night? Yeah, I think when it comes to the br- the brothel, there's a lot that just has to be, like, pushed under the rug. Like, or or he just doesn't care. Maybe Maybe he's high during this point. Maybe, oh, okay. maybe the drugs have taken hold, and he's just high on <laughs> high on Mary Jane and making money. That green stuff, you know. He's just—it's all too good. Jazz like cabbage. part, yeah. Part of me feels like at this point, I was almost like, is he just gonna settle in? Like, is this movie gonna end with Joel just deciding like he's gonna be a pimp? <laughs> <He's> got- <laughs> I was expecting like a Scarface shot of him and like his dad's desk with some fucking tile up low. (laughs) Just just a whole Breaking Bad story. (laughs) Joel getting into the pimp game. But yeah, so Joel decides though, looks like it's University of Illinois because he realizes that it went badly. But we'll find out later that no, apparently all you have to do is get the admissions guy laid. And that's going to be enough to make him seem like Princeton material. Joel's playing with trains and Lana wants to get out there and make love on a real train. But that's when mom and dad actually do call. But they trust him. It's okay that he has a few friends over. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, mom. (laughs) His dad was freaking out in the opening scene because Joel turned the bass up too high. And he can't hear the bass in the background of uh, what's going on on the phone there. He didn't have his beautiful equalizer on the other end of the phone. That's, That's the problem. True. That's right. Yeah. He was really good at knowing the exact settings. I enjoyed that when he puts them back exactly how they were supposed to be. But so then they get to the train and they're making out. But it, Joel keeps making creepy eye contact with like the one guy on the train. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> Like, was, <laughs> is he was, slow eating something too? <laughs> that was. I mean, I'm sure it was meant to be funny, but I kind of just found it unsettling. <laughs> very, very unsettling. <laughs> For me, that was the sexiest part of the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to pause that and rewind a couple times. I wanted to look that guy in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> Joel's like, I'm almost done. I just need to stare him in the eye. Yeah, come on. Almost there. Uh, but then we get down to some risky business right there on the train. Ah, there I said it. And then a lot of suggestive shots of trains going through tunnels and the sparks of the on off the electrical post and everything like that. But he finally gets the Porsche back and drives it all the way home with the hazard lights on. That was a touch I loved. I thought that was a hilarious moment. The kids on the bike are passing him. <laughs> but he's been... His house has been cleaned out. Everything has been robbed from his house. I think it would have been perfect, though, if the egg had been there. Everything except yeah. the egg. I agree. Yeah. I was. I thought they were. That's what they were going to do with it. Yeah. That would have been. That would have been perfect. Yeah. But Guido has stolen all his stuff, so he's willing to sell everything back to him. I I liked that Joel gets his comeuppance. I just don't like that he goes back to Lana because I think Lana was in on it. 
I totally agree. I think that she was absolutely in on it. But so Guido sells everything back in time. He recruits his friends to get everything back in the house and then just plays it cool when his parents come in. He he's a he's a master at lying, this Joel. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, I thought you said Sunday. It's like so Joel, I even wrote it down. Yeah, we we heard many times throughout this movie that they said Saturday. Yeah. I could have told you their itinerary. Pre-internet times, it would have been so easy to get away with shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, be like, oh sorry, I wrote it down on a sticky note and just gaslighting my mom and she just buys it. You know? <laughs> It's like, and she, she'd be like, nah, man, like we, we put it in the Google meet. We put it in the Google calendar, you know, we put it in the family email. Yeah. But you back, knew. back in 1983, all they have is the memo box. The, <laughs> you have a message. You have a message. You have a message or whatever it said over and over again. That was the most Ferris Bueller part of the movie. I thought him diving for the egg. <laughs> well, that, that, but even when, the, even when the parents show up and he just like, Hops over the couch and is like, "Hi, mom. Hi, dad." Like as if he's been there the whole time. Yeah, like yeah, he starts shaking his dad's hand. Like, yeah. <laughs> "Hello, father. What? How was you? How was your trip?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I trust you are well, mother. So, <laughs> Ma- but you mother. know, mother. I, <laughs> but you know, like he also plays it really cool for someone that thought that his parents were coming home the next day too like you'd think he'd be like oh shit you gave me a heart attack like at least play the part if you're gonna be like i didn't expect anyone to walk through the front door right now that's weird to me because i wasn't expecting you till tomorrow Mm -hmm. but there's a crack in mom's egg did did mom's egg crack when uh, he threw it and he dove caught it or did it just crack somewhere in all its adventures i think it was already cracked I think it's been yeah. cracked the whole time. Oh, okay. I think it's been cracked the whole time, and I think that Joel is the egg. Oh. <laughs> Symbolism. Think about it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, he is the egg. There, there's one bit of symbolism that I am trying to understand is that his parents are disappointed in him, and he has to go outside to do some yard work. But he lights up a cigarette and puts his, his sunglasses on. But then the camera zooms in on his sunglass lens. Like it's why are you zoom like it would be different if you were zooming in on his eye but you're zooming in on a tinted lens. What what is this visual choice? I don't know. Yeah. That's I don't know what made you want to go out and get a pair of Ray-Bans, a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. I think it worked in that way. Oh, that was the Ray-Bans commercial part of this uh <laughs> That was the that was the ad. Yeah. But then we get another fake out when dad comes out and says, is there something you need to tell me, Joel? But Princeton could use a guy like Joel. So then we get the little final montage of all the different presentations where they're saying how much virtual money they've made in their entrepreneurial endeavors. And Joel gets the cocky, I made $8,000 gross in one night. I like how they waited until the end for you to find out that his name was Goodson. I think they said it right at the beginning as well. Yeah, yeah, they say it at some point in the movie. I remember that. Uh, yeah. I th- I thought it was only at the end that we find out his last name is Goodson, and I I was like, oh, that's brilliant that he's the good son. I don't know. It, I think it would have been better if they just dropped that right at the end. Yeah, and just right at the beginning as well. But I'm I'm yeah, I do believe. Yeah, but that is the end of risky business. I I think anything else? No, eh, guys, no. Okay. 
I don't think so. Unless we want to talk about the credits and the cool song that played. <laughs> really like the score, okay? Don't give me that look. Yeah, <laughs> <I really> like... <laughs> now, now, Colin, Joel on IMDb had scored 6.8 out of 10, has a meta score of 75. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a staggering 92% on the tomato meter and an audience rating of 72%. But, Colin, those are just numbers. <laughs> Like taking your Lana to Pound Town. Hit us with some reviews. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thomas Matthew gives the movie five out of five stars and says, Trust me, don't trust the ratings. It doesn't do justice to the movie. It's damn good. It's from the creator of Easy A and Friends with Benefits. Yep, Fired Up is in way below them in any manner. Okay. The script is the most amazing. What? I think there's a TV show or is it a movie called Fired Up? So, like, he he basically told you exactly where the status of this movie is. Is that it's not like those other two, but it's better than this one. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> he ranked those four movies for you. <laughs> the script, the script is the most amazingly witty. Humor is a persistent element in the movie. It's there throughout all the movie. In brackets, watch and you will love it. <laughs> I'm sold. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um. Orly Yoga says, five out of five stars. Love the original time I saw this in 1983, many times later, and then a few months ago with my husband, who never saw this. That is because he grew up in Australia. He absolutely loved it, too. Such great lines, acting, and story. Apparently, Risky Business didn't get an Australian release. Yeah, I, they just I, didn't, have a, they didn't have cinemas in Australia I until 92. I story on that one, for sure. <laughs> Alec Caperso gives the movie four or five out of five stars and says, sometimes you have to take a gamble if you want to truly live. A high school is enthusiastic about his parents leaving for vacation and leaving him mad at the house. However, things take an unlikely turn when he falls for a prostitute and accidentally crashes his dad's car. Now he plans to turn. This is just the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm reading it. Uh, blah, blah. You know what? Skip this one. He just gives it four to five stars and says, With Tom Cruise showing his talent at an early age, this film shows the joys of youth and the downfalls of growing up. Ooh. <laughs> and then this last one is is an epic one. It's quite long, but I'm going to read it anyways. It's from Benjamin on Wigbo. He gives the movie five out of five stars and says, A truly great film. <clears throat> I first saw it on Hulu with my mom in May when it had just got there. I'm 12 and I'm about to turn 13 next month. Shit, okay. (laughs) And just because I'm a kid doesn't mean I still can't go see these really great R-rated classics. It was beautifully shot, the acting was solid, the pacing was also solid, the music was freaking awesome, and I had a huge crush on the character Lana. The chemistry between her and Joel is pretty fun to watch, and I just can't ignore it. They are some of the most underrated couples when it comes to 80s comedies. It didn't really make me laugh, but who cares? It just proves that you don't need over-the-top laughs to make a great comedy. I like how it takes a dark focus on comedy, then just to make it another campy movie. 
I watched it on my quarantine movie list, and while I gave it a five-star rating, my mom gave it three stars. I don't understand. I honestly enjoyed it. She said it was a little boring and the acting was bad, which I strongly agree. I didn't find it boring a bit. I think she's missing the point here, but it's her opinion. It's a little underrated, like seriously. Most people mention the dance scene that made Tom Cruise a household name, but they aren't really mentioning how beautiful this movie is. Despite its positive reviews at the time of its release, despite making $63 million over a $6.2 million budget at the box office, becoming the 10th highest grossing film of 1983, which is extremely impressive for a low-budget movie given that this was the 80s, and even being called one of the best films of 1983, it's not as popular as it was in 1983. It's only the dance scene and the Guido car chase where Joel says, Porsche. There is no substitute. Okay, I'm not going to go through all of them in detail because I don't want to give out a lot of spoilers. That doesn't mean it's as popular as it should be. It's also rarely on TVs nowadays. And when it was on TV and commercials, it was really... Mm, okay, it was really... Heck, even the late Kobe <laughs> Bryant did a guitar commercial back in 2008 about the dance. But not a lot of people watch the movie that much anymore. It's always the truly great classics that don't get enough credit. Anyway, I would say this is an underrated gem from the 80s, and it's highly recommended viewing. Exceptional. Five stars. That is a junior high student that was... (laughs) That is in some sort of film unit in their drama class where where they said, okay, pick an old movie and write a report on it. You get to choose whatever it is. And then they just decided to copy and paste their report right into the Google reviews. Oh, absolutely. We have a young auteur on our hands. You know, we're dealing with a younger Roger Ebert. My God. With uh, what an eloquently placed review. I also love that they immediately dropped i like the, the the duality between talking about watching specifically this movie with their mom and then referring to themselves as a child and also talking <laughs> as though they have a deep recollection and uh appreciation for the history of cinema from the year 1983 specifically as if they're like i've seen a lot of comedies they, they, let me tell you they are scholars of 1983 <laughs> cinema like that that's that's what they're planning they're, in junior high this kid is already planning their college thesis and it's going Absolutely. to be film studies at nyu and it's going to be about the cinematic landscape of 1983 as viewed through the eyes of me on the couch beside my mother <laughs> i uh not to add, to, to add on, but I found one review that I absolutely loved. I rented the movie on YouTube, and there was two comments on YouTube. One of them was just a winking face. <laughs> and one of them said, from John Emery, five months ago, says, Well, unfortunately, sex sells. We are not living in the 1950s, but nevertheless, it shows the morality of these times. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like there's some you know uh you know like pastor like you know pearl clutching pastor in yeah. 1983 watching this and going my goodness my word <laughs> this smut it, it was whoever made the movie reefer madness because it's in the same vein you know where it's just <laughs> like oh this dangerous marijuana the devil's grass it's making people go insane and now we've got what is houses. to the youth We've got whorehouses. Right on. So 6.8. 
And 72 from audiences, 75 and 92 from critics. Joel, take us through your experience with Risky Business. Again, I went into this movie with an expectation of that I'd already seen it. I think that I was just thinking of Footloose, uh, which I've seen too many times. And I was fully taken aback by it. It was not what I expected it to be at all. Like Colin said, I expected much more of a Ferris Bueller, easygoing, haha, John Hughesian type film. And I was genuinely very impressed by the movie. I really quite enjoyed it. Maybe I, you know, this this 12-year-old and I have similar film sensibilities, but <laughs> I thought that it was uh, really interestingly shot film i think that there was a lot more to it to unpack i absolutely love the score like i've touched on a few times i thought that tangerine dream scoring was really really smart yeah genuinely i i really quite enjoyed the film i'd give it an honest like uh nine nine out of ten four out of four and a half out of five i um yeah, it's. I very rarely find myself wanting to rewatch films, and this is one that I found that I actually wanted to go back and, you know, see again for more than just that. Masturbation. Shot. No, I never. It's more than just the whacking off, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't necessarily share your same sentiment. Uh, there, there were things to like about this movie, but there were so many weird choices that didn't fit together, that kind of nagged at me. I think the biggest of which was that I didn't know what the tone was supposed to be. And I I, I found that unsettling. And so there, there were some parts where I wish they leaned more into the comedy. Like, you can have something that's serious and comedic, but the comedic stuff has to be a bit funnier. You have to lean a bit more into, you know, the chaos of this farce that's going on. Like he at one point, he's in the middle of a pantomime because he's got the college admissions guy and he's got this going on and this going on. And so like you've both mentioned now, it's, you know, there's that Ferris Bueller, John Hughesian quality that you kind of wanted in this movie. And unlike Joel, I wasn't happy that it went in a different direction. I wanted to be satisfied with the John Hughesian. And what I got just kind of left me unfulfilled for what I was craving going into this movie with what I thought I knew of this movie. It was a very different movie. I didn't hate it, but I I didn't love it. Like, for me, it's more of like, I'm happy with those 70% audience reviews i think is kind of where i would be sitting with it personally colin bring us home what did you think of risky business uh i would probably lie more with you i think the (laughs) all all i can really think of to say is my expectations weren't met which is like not a fault of the movie i think i had the wrong expectations i think i i expected it to be teenage like kind of like yeah like in the vein of of breakfast club or or ferris bueller with some like you know real like real message to tell but with like more ha-has like i don't i you there, the there are weren't ha-ha enough yeah there are there are there are a couple funny points but like i said i didn't know how to feel like there wasn't 
I, I felt like the movie from the, I was against the ropes from from the get go with this movie where I was just like okay this is really not what I thought it was and then yeah. and then I, it was like my brain for the whole ty- the whole thing was just trying to figure it out yeah. so I couldn't just sit back I probably need to give it another watch because I couldn't just sit back and watch it for what it is mm-hmm. and yeah so like I was expecting like I was expecting it to be lighter in tone i actually think the tone of it is fairly heavy yeah and the the joel character he's too like serial killery level the entire <laughs> time like like christian bale american psycho like, he's, too, <laughs> he's too unemotional yeah. for some things like that was odd to me but what i did enjoy this movie for was you know the opportunity to see Tom Cruise pre. I feel like pre Top Gun because yeah, when I is. watch when I watch Top Gun, Tom Cruise like Maverick like well not not the new one but like when I watch Top Gun, that Tom Cruise is now is still now Tom Cruise. Like I feel like in that three years or whatever, maybe he found out who Tom Cruise was going to be. But in this movie, yeah, Scientologist. Yeah, so he found he found uh, the Thetans and, and all that shit. So, yeah. but uh, <laughs> but yeah, in this movie, he seems so. What's the word like? Malleable, like he just seems like loose clay in this movie. Like he hasn't found his form yet, mm-hmm. which is really interesting to see for a guy that has now gone on to be, you know, like the he's the biggest movie star there probably like is yeah. like or one of them at least. Top and, 10 and, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so to see him in this movie where it's just it's just so different from anything I've ever seen him do his skills aren't as polished but he still puts on a great performance and it's and it is a well done movie. It's just a yeah. It's an interesting time capsule for for Tom Cruise and also like the 1980s, like I mentioned before. <laughs> like just how just how analog everything in this movie is sometimes <laughs> threw me off a little bit. I was like, can't just call him on your cell phone. <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the fact that their big money making idea was like this oversized notepad with a blinking light. Yeah. Like even that was just like wow. Like, we have to take messages on paper and look at the size of that unit just for a blinking light in the little speaker. Ridiculous. <laughs> Get your shit together, 1980s. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I can't believe that we're still doing things the exact same way they did in that movie. They st- We still haven't gotten our shit together. Yeah. Well, no, it's easier for me to get a whore. True. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Well, there we go. That is Risky Business, and that's our show for this week. Ah, big huge thank you to Joel Sims for joining us this week. Thank you, Joel. Thank you for having me. Again, it was a pleasure as always. I really appreciate uh, appreciate the time. Well, we, we appreciate your time as well. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it at least, though, you know? I, like I liked, it liked it far more than I was yeah. expecting it. To, I was expecting to genuinely. I I was, yeah, yeah. If you like that show, one thing you can do to really help us out is well, just tell people, share our posts. Word of mouth just spreads this show's word. And Jesus, I word of fuck. mouth spreads the words like net 
Nutella on toast. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Help us get more earballs on the show or go to whatever app it is you listen to your podcast on and give us five stars. Doesn't matter what you say in the reviews, just give us a, give us some stars. Help drive us up some charts, help us get noticed. <laughs> or if you want to go even further above and beyond and donate to us, go over to patreon.com slash I used to like this one and you become an executive producer on the show. So you get a shout out just like executive producer Joshua Blum. And be sure to check out our website, www.iselectthisone.com. There's links to all of our podcast episodes and social media. And drop us a line at iselectthisone at gmail.com and let us know what movies you used to like, and then maybe you'll find us talking about them on the show. I Used to Like This One is created by, hosted by, and produced by Sean Wells and Colin Stewart. It is edited by Sean Wells. Music by Lyndon Carter. Look for his band, Carter in the Capitals, anywhere you listen to music. And if you want to hear more content from me, you can go check out my entire first season of In Front of the Yellow Line, now posted anywhere pods are cast. Thank you for listening, and join us next time for episode 100 of I Used to Like This One. With his parents out of town and the house to himself, Joel Goodson decides to say, What the fuck? and let loose. When taking his father's Porsche out. Oh, I'll say it. No, I missed that. You know what? I'm just going to start over. <laughs> when his parents. With that.